Happy New Year! Did you have a good break over the holidays? If you work in IT security, I bet the answer is not really. I bet your boss called you and demanded to know if your company uses SolarWinds software in its network. The headlines were everywhere. Hackers infiltrated the US government and some private firms by exploiting vulnerabilities in SolarWinds network management software. More than 250 networks were pierced, and it's believed that Russia's SVR intelligence service is behind the attack. Other vendors, like Microsoft and FireEye, also say they were breached in the attack. For IT pros that are accountable for security and returning from the holidays wondering what this means for them, today we will recap the news and explore some practical steps to take to ensure vendors aren't creating security problems. Joining me to help with this is Howard Solomon, a cybersecurity reporter and a main contributor to ITWorldCanada.com. Welcome, Howard. Hi, Brian. Yeah, nice to have you here. And we also have an analyst from Infotech's cybersecurity team, Jimmy Tom. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, Brian. Okay, great. This is great. I have an old colleague and a, and a new colleague on the podcast, so this is a lot of fun. Howard, I, I do want to start with you being a reporter that's been writing about this, and I've been reading it. I've been listening to your Cybersecurity Today podcast as well, uh, hearing about it. Please give us a brief recap of what happened with the SolarWinds hack. Well, Brian, this began uh, December the 8th when FireEye issued a statement saying that a sophisticated attacker had made off with a copy of its red team tools. Now, for those who don't know, a red team is a group of internal or contracted cybersecurity professionals who test an organization's IT network to find vulnerabilities. Now, many, but not all, of the tools that FireEye uses are public. They're known to the IT community, but still, this was alarming. And FireEye rightly told the world and issued a list of countermeasures that IT departments could use to detect any attacks using these tools. FireEye then started looking at how the attackers got into its system and discovered, no doubt to its astonishment, that it was through the SolarWinds Orion network management platform that it uses. Someone had managed to infect an update to Orion in the spring of 2020. That update was a backdoor that allowed the attacker to install malware to get into computer networks. FireEye alerted SolarWinds, and on Saturday, December the 10th, warnings started to fly around the world. Now, some 33,000 organizations use Orion. About 18,000 of them had installed the infected update before the warnings went out. Now, complicating the situation are reports that this threat group didn't only use Orion as its vehicle for attack. One report suggests that a Microsoft reseller's email account was also used to get into or to try to get into, an, into a network. Right. This is Jimmy here. Yeah. Uh, yes. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, everything that uh, Howard had, uh, had said is indeed uh, the case. And I just want to uh, really emphasize that, you know, Orion was simply the way in, but the exploit itself can really take a, a lot of different avenues in ways that organizations may not even become aware of for quite some time. I mean, it's been, what, eight months, eight to 12 months since uh, the hack 
first manifested itself, that's an eternity for a malicious actor in their trade craft. And there's so much that could be done, so much harm that we're likely still going to discover in the coming days or weeks. Okay. You know, Howard, I, I hear you say referring to them as the attack group. I know that uh, gov federal government agencies in the U.S. are pointing the finger at, at Russia. How, how certain are we or uncertain are we that this was uh, a state-sponsored attack from Russia? Well, um, uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday being relative to the day that we're recording this. Yeah, so that was Tuesday, January 5th. Right. Um, the leading uh, American uh, law enforcement and intelligence agencies, including the uh, the FBI and the NSA, said that it was likely that Russia's uh, intelligence agency was behind this attack. And um, uh, these agencies have tremendous response uh, 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 resources. And... Um, at the moment, we're going to have to rely on on that. Um, okay, so that's the best information we have. I accept that. So let's think about the poor IT security pros out there. They've got their their those calls from their bosses. Probably, I imagine they were sitting down to turkey dinner um, over Christmas, and they, they, that was interrupted. And then, um, you know. Maybe they're coming back, though, and, and the boss is still wondering, have we done everything that we have to do? Uh, is SolarWinds in our network? So, Jimmy, let's go to you on this first. What's the right response to tell your boss if you do have SolarWinds in, in your network? Hmm. Well, the general rule of thumb is basically to assume that you have been hacked and then to respond accordingly. So to take whatever container containment measures are are needed to uh, lock down your systems, to raise the uh, diligence in, in uh, monitoring and securing uh, with, with the other tools that are available in your environment, and basically to take action accordingly. It's, uh, it's more dangerous to assume that you have not been hacked and to discover later on that you have than to actually just assume right from the onset that, hey, you know what, let's, uh, let's respond as though we have been hacked and, and take action accordingly. Okay. And what if you don't have it? Uh, is it okay to just say, no, don't worry, we, we, we haven't been hacked because we don't use that software? I would say don't make any assumptions whatsoever because I think it's the complacent attitude that we've adopted in terms of, oh, if my, if my particular product, if the vendor has not been hacked, then therefore I can trust, I can trust all the products in my, uh, in my arsenal of security tools. I would say now is the time to really ramp up the uh, the scrutiny. Uh, now is the time to ensure that not just your own uh, your own environment, but also your supply chain, uh, your partners. Uh, there are so many ways in because of the prevalence of SolarWinds Orion that you really need to be careful and 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 keep an eye out on things in your environment. Right. Anything to add to that, Howard? Well, yeah, if you do have Orion, first of all, mm -hmm. make sure make sure that uh, you've updated it with the, with the recent patches that, that are going to close the holes that were created by uh, these attackers. Um, then you have to go through all of your network logs to see if there's any evidence that you were hacked. 
uh, to be safe, your investigation may have to go back to the fall of 2019 when the first evidence emerged that SolarWinds was hacked. Um, you need to find and block any domains that the, uh, the Orion backdoor calls to. What you should not do is take Orion offline. That would leave you without a network monitoring application. If you, feel you, if you feel you have to take Orion offline, then install another network monitor or isolate the, the server that's hosting Orion and install a new version of Orion on a, on a scrubbed server. Uh, make sure you identify any user accounts on the infected server that may have been compromised and reset their passwords. Look for tools that an attacker might have left behind to enable credential access or lateral movement through your network and other attack activities. That's interesting. So better to uh, try to patch Orion rather to, than to rip it out and not have it at all. Right. At least initially. And your initial move is patch, patch Orion. And, and then you're going to have to do some really serious investigation. Yeah, that's just the starting point. And Howard, I was reading your great article there about patching. Um, you know, you were talking about, in general, uh, the, the importance of keeping up to date. And we always talk about this in security. It, it's not news to security professionals that they have to keep up with the patches to avoid those new vulnerabilities that are discovered by the bad guys. Um, but just tell us a bit more, um, if there's anything to add, Howard, about why it was so important to keep up with those patches uh, with this attack. And, and what patches do we need to care about? Well, first of all, there are two things. Uh, let's leave the SolarWinds hack for a minute and go back to the FireEye tools hack. Many of the things that, that FireEye consultants look for when they're probing customers' networks are the most common unpatched vulnerabilities. These are things like holes in Windows and Microsoft Office. And why? Because these are the most common vulnerabilities that hackers go after. So one lesson from where this tale starts is to have a patching strategy that gets the security updates in your environment installed as soon as possible. As for the Orion incident, ironically, installing an update would have got you hacked and it would have been difficult to detect. So for Orion users, your defenses would have had to have been the usual things that reduce the risk of any attack, such as segregating encrypted, uh, uh, segregating and encrypting valuable data, using multi-factor authentication to protect logins against stolen credentials, limiting access to valuable data to only those who need it, and watching network traffic for suspicious behavior. The, the, I think the big lesson for uh, out of the Orion hack is, is really for application developers. Your patching and code access control has to be rigorous to prevent you from being used as a tool to, to break into other firms as SolarWinds was done here. Right, good point. Jimmy, when you're talking to InfoTech clients about patching, what advice do you give them? So 
As Howard indicated, patching is a very important function. It's something that needs to be uh, done very diligently and very smartly as well. Um, the reality is that there are some cases where, you know, a patch cannot be immediately applied because IT cannot get the, uh, the maintenance window immediately. Um, so there needs to be a sense of prioritization that needs to be uh, put in place. Um, also, there are some cases where patching simply can, be, cannot be done. Uh, we've seen a lot of this in, in terms of uh, operational technologies and industrial control systems, basically manufacturing, for example, where the, um, the, the companies that are developing the machinery in these factories aren't necessarily software developers, so they're not going to be, they're not going to stay on top of the latest and greatest patches. And so, therefore, patching itself is definitely not the only response or the only solution in terms of ensuring uh, ensuring that um, a uh, environment is is battened down and secure. Uh, so, so definitely, so definitely, that is a consideration. In terms of the Orion, uh, the SolarWinds Orion hack. What we often say is, you know, certainly do your patching uh, very diligently, but also look at things like um, your defense in depth uh, mechanisms. So, in other words, uh, what are the other security mechanisms that you have in place? Uh, as Howard pointed out, the security engineers, the security administrators who, um, you know, who manage uh, SolarWinds Orion and the various organizations and, and amongst their customers. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. They executed the patches as per what SolarWinds had had uh, published, under the under the uh, trust and confidence that okay, you know what, this this patch is supposed to fix things. It's supposed to make us more secure. But as we as we saw, that turned out not to be the case. Defense in depth is a strategy that ensures that you have many layers of different security in place. So. If you happen to get hacked because your um, data center monitoring tool is 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 now has now been compromised, hey, you know what? You have all these other mechanisms that will not only alert you to the possibility of intrusion, but also possibly take mitigative efforts to reduce the 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 damage that that hack can can uh, bring into your organization. Yeah, just uh, a thought uh, occurs to me as we're discussing this. Um, does the uh, burden of having to patch all of your different software um, on premises, does that give cloud software, software as a service, more of a, an argument to, to, ad to adopt that as part of a better security posture, Jimmy? It actually introduces uh, two interesting dynamics so first of all to answer your question directly yes absolutely the cloud provider would therefore be on the hook to ensure that everything is patched down and tested properly as well because sometimes patches may break things and so it's up to them to ensure that not only are patches deployed but they're, that they're tested properly but um, with respect to cloud it also is incumbent upon their customers to verify the cloud provider as a vendor, hey, are you are you executing a sound security practice? Do you have this this standard cadence of uh, security monitoring as well as um, proactive and reactive response such that you yourselves won't get hacked? So it does open up that additional dynamic in terms of, hey, trust but verify all of your vendors. Yeah, and getting back to SolarWinds here. 
Um, it's no surprise that the company is receiving a lot of criticism in the press. Uh, the New York Times had a story uh, with some interviews with employees that were not named, but the, the gist of the story was that the chief executive, who's now stepped out, uh, was more interested in cost-cutting than rigorous security. And I'm wondering, you know, with this uh, big hack, so many government departments being affected by what was supposed to be a trusted vendor with SolarWinds here, should companies be doing more due diligence, um, not only of their own internal security practices, but of the practices their vendors are using? And is, even, is that even a practical idea? Howard, what do you think? Well, I, I can't speak to whether SolarWinds security was up to industry standards. Certainly this incident, which the industry broadly calls a supply chain attack, shows the importance of making sure that every company you buy hardware and software from treats its cybersecurity as a priority. Uh, that includes, as Jimmy said, your, your cloud providers. So you may be in a position to demand suppliers show you their uh, most recent security audit. One of the interesting questions from this attack is, how was SolarWinds victimized? I anticipate that SolarWinds is going to be hauled before a congressional committee uh, pretty soon to publicly explain what happened. I also think Congress will demand testimony from U.S. government cyber officials to explain how their vaunted systems uh, failed to detect these attacks. Yeah, I, I think that there will be a pretty thorough investigation there. And as we've seen from the past year, there's there's nothing that Congress likes more than to uh, haul tech leaders in, in, in front of them and ask them a bunch of questions. Um, but it, well, go ahead, Howard. Uh, sorry, I was going to say uh, uh, the most recent example was uh, when the, the, the former CEO of um, Equifax, the, uh, the, the credit monitoring agency, was hauled mm -hmm. before Congress. And uh, there was uh, testimony there that shed some light on the attack. And then um, uh, there was a, a congressional committee report uh several months later that had more details let's talk a bit more about the um other uh people that were involved with this and, and by that i mean the attackers because sure solar winds failed in securing its software but uh this never would have happened if it wasn't for the actual uh people behind the attack that had intended to use this exploit so you know, just from a broad uh, standpoint, you've got some different uh, actors that are motivated by different things in the cyber threat space. I mean, one group is the cyber criminals. They're looking to make money one way or the other. Uh, you have cyber activists. They want to get out and damage reputations. I'm thinking of groups like Anonymous here. And then, you know, in this case, we've got a state actor uh, it seems like, uh, and we discussed, Howard, uh, this is the best information that we're getting right now. But let's talk about state-sponsored hackers. And uh, Jimmy, you start on this one. What motivates them? Sure. So in terms of the state sponsors, I mean, there, there are so many different reasons why. Um, you know, the, the big reasons that I've come up with are uh, two, two things, disruption and destabilization. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of state-sponsored uh, 
ownership of uh, of technology companies emerge, and you got to question the reason for that. Is it because they are trying to instill themselves in terms of uh, gathering intelligence through various technologies? Um, there, there's certainly very uh, uh, many ways. Uh, many many ways that they can do so uh, through uh, acquiring uh, technologies or even propagating some of their technologies uh, in a very inexpensive way. And so when we talk about state sponsorship and why would they would want to uh, go about hacking, you know, I've watched enough movies to, to, to come up with the various reasons. In fact, I was actually just re-watching uh, Jack Ryan, uh, Shadow Recruit, and I thought that that was a very interesting uh, lesson in terms of, well, how does a foreign government um, act or potentially act in that fictional universe to, let's say, destabilize the stock market and therefore um, affect the uh, the currency of, of a company, uh, their monetary system, and, and how does that potentially affect things from the standpoint of whether it's political, economical, uh, social, or as we've seen in all of 2020, all of the above. Yeah, and these state-sponsored cyber attackers, they're very sophisticated. I mean, um, if this was Russia's SVR here, as we've been told, uh, look who they evaded. I mean, the, the efforts of U.S. Homeland Security and the National Security Administration were supposed to stop foreign actors from penetrating U.S. government networks, but um, they've obviously found a way around that. And plus, they're breaching software that we thought we could trust in SolarWinds and uh, FireEye, Microsoft even. So does the average company really have any practical hope of preventing or mitigating against state actors that are so advanced and so well-funded? Howard? Sure. And the answer is rigorous risk management practices. You've got to have a cybersecurity management plan. It starts with doing an inventory of your hardware, your software, your data. Determine what's at risk of attack and how to lower those risks. You've got to use tools like multi-factor authentication, segmenting and encrypted data, segmenting and encrypting data, restricting access to data to only those who need it, security awareness training, and you've got to have an incident response and disaster uh, recovery plan. Um, uh, you know, if you don't have one of these plans yet, uh, a, a risk management plan, you can get free advice on planning at the websites of the Canadian Cybersecurity Center or the United States National Institute for Security, pardon me, the, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, NIST. otherwise known as NIST. Mm -hmm. And you may get free advice from your vendors as well. Okay, that's great. Good advice. I mean, it's it's funny how, how I'm always asking questions to security experts, and often it it, it all boils down to the just rigorous um, keeping the the same standards in place, the same practices in place. Um, I you know, Jimmy, I often wonder if companies just need to take it more seriously, make sure they have enough. Uh, manpower in place to pay attention to these issues and are giving them the right resources to actually fight back against all the threats out there. 
Um, absolutely. And, you know, a new, a new market has emerged in terms of providing managed services to various companies. So the, the, uh, the excuse of not having enough personnel to run your security practices is no longer, is no longer the case where you can potentially outsource much of, uh, much of the resourcing that's needed in order to maintain a very diligent security practice. I know now with the advent of cloud, there, there's just so much out there from a technology and from a people standpoint that can certainly be leveraged to minimize a company's exposure to security and to risk. Okay. Any final thoughts on this from either of you? Well, I think that, that far too many organizations um, have the attitude that, uh, or the management has the attitude, listen, the IT department, you have X hundred thousand dollars and that's your budget, um, uh, deal with it. And um, the management doesn't realize that cybersecurity needs a rigorous process. And uh, not, not only does it have to be rigorous in the IT department, the IT department has to, has to report regularly and clearly to management on what the risks are. Uh, uh, sometimes you, it doesn't necessarily need to be a complicated document. It can be um, a couple of pages in which things are, are color-coded, uh, uh, red, amber, green, to make sure that upper management knows these particular systems are at risk. Here's the reason why. Here's the plan for going after and, and solving these things. Um, um, it'll take X number of months and X number of dollars. So security is a whole company effort is what yeah. you're telling us. And you've got to be rigorous. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. Okay. This has been great. I feel like uh, we're, we're feeling a little bit more comfortable. Happy New Year again to those IT security pros. Um, rude awakening after the holidays, but this is the life you signed up for. So, um, you, you know, Jimmy is here to help you at Infotech. And of course, you can always go and read Howard's stories on itworldcanada.com to keep up to date with the news. Uh, thank you both, both of you guys for coming on today. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Howard. And for, for our listeners, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, you can subscribe to us. We can be subscribed to on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Podcasts. Really, wherever you listen on uh, your podcast app or on the website now, you can even go to Google Podcasts on the web now and subscribe to us. Just hit that subscribe button. You'll get every episode in your feed. I'm Brian Jackson. Thank you.